unless we address what's going on in our brain, we'll never get on top of what's going on in our body because the brain is our control centre. You're listening to the Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find out how to access exclusive discounts on Phylex, the fitness industry convention. In this episode, medical doctor and brain plasticity expert Dr. Helena Popovich talks comfort eating, neuroslimming, and the language of weight loss with Network's Emma Harvey. Today we're talking to medical doctor Helena Popovic, a leading authority on brain plasticity and its relationship to obesity. She's also the founder of Winning at Slimming, Thinking the Lightweight, and a best-selling author of Neuroslimming. Today we're going to be talking about how your brain can change your body. So, Helena, what is Neuroslimming? Neuroslimming is a word that I coined from neuron meaning brain cell and slimming meaning shedding excess body fat. And the message I wanted to get across is unless we address what's going on in our brain, we'll never get on top of what's going on in our body because the brain is our control center. We know that hormones, metabolism, motivation to exercise, all of that influences our body fat levels. However, all of that is ultimately controlled by the brain. And so many of our decisions are unconscious, are subconscious. So we need to know all those different influences. So, for instance, one of the greatest, I think, advances in science recently is understanding that our thoughts and our emotions can actually influence the functioning of our brain and change our brains. And that, in turn, filters through and changes how our body processes food. Because you probably heard everyone talk about, you are what you eat. That's not entirely true. You are what your brain and body do with what you eat. Because really controlled studies on hundreds of people have found you can give them all the same diet and you can tailor that diet to their metabolic rate and put them in control conditions and yet some people will lose weight on that diet, some people will actually gain weight, some people will maintain weight and yet they've done the maths, they should all be losing weight. And the reason they don't is we haven't taken account of individual differences, how individual bodies process food. So let's take the example of how our thoughts and emotions influence our brain function. When you're feeling stressed, you probably understand that you release the hormone cortisol. You know, that's, you know, the hormone of chronic stress. Cortisol, the first thing it does is it stimulates our appetite and it increases our craving for high sugar foods. So we're going to be eating more. Secondly, cortisol also instructs the body to lay down fat around our visceral organs and this is the most dangerous type of fat to have because it's metabolically active. So just by being stressed or angry automatically changes how our bodies process the food we eat. Conversely, if you're feeling calm, relaxed, grateful, connected to your fellow human being, you activate your left prefrontal cortex this part of the brain actually strengthens willpower and influences people to make healthier food choices, to have greater empathy for themselves and others and express more self-compassion. And studies have found that, that people with large, more active left frontal precortexes um, and meditators have this area of the brain grows in meditators, they actually take better care of themselves. They spontaneously engage in more healthful lifestyles. 
So we've just talked about how stress changes the way that your body digests your food. And now that comfort eating is so prevalent, what can we do and how can we fix this situation in the brain? Comfort eating occurs when the brain receives an unpleasant signal, when you're feeling an emotion that you don't like to feel. And we live in a society where we haven't been taught how to deal with negative emotions. So we want to suppress those emotions as quickly as possible. Now, some people will turn to other addictions like uh, alcohol, drugs, but the most convenient, the easiest and the most legal thing to stuff down our feelings is food. So until we actually learn to deal with negative, unpleasant emotions, we're not going to get on top of comfort eating because resisting is just not going to work. There's, we have a finite amount of willpower and it'll only last so long before we eventually give in. So the most powerful way to deal with comfort eating is firstly not to beat yourself up about it and just to say, aha, this is an unpleasant emotion that I'm just feeling that I haven't learnt to deal with and allow yourself to just sit with that craving, with that urge to comfort eat, or with if you're aware that it's, it's anger or, or it's upset or it's deep sadness that's making you want to comfort eat, just sit there with the feeling. And a lot of my patients get terrified and they go, but, but I'll be overwhelmed, I'll be a complete mess of tears. You won't be. It's really empowering to just be able to sit there with feelings and not have to act on them and not have to suppress them. So that's the most powerful thing. It, it takes practice, but the more people can just sit with their feelings, the less they will reach for food. If that's too big a leap to take, simply preparing yourself that I'm going, there are going to be times when I want, don't like the, what I'm feeling. What other things give you comfort? Could you ring a friend? Could you just pick up a, a, your favourite novel and start reading? Could you listen to some lovely music? To, could you take a walk in nature? Book yourself in for a massage or a manicure. What else gives you comfort that you can look forward to rather than food? And another interesting quirky thing that neuroscientists have found that helps us deal with comfort eating is what you're wanting is to replace that uncomfortable feeling with a pleasant one. If you bring to mind immediately something that makes you feel warm and fuzzy, you'll give yourself a bit of a dopamine hit and that will reduce the urge to comfort eat. So think about maybe playing with your child or, you know, when you, when you first held your baby in your arms or your honeymoon or your, your last holiday. Bring to mind memories that make you feel good. Even winning an award, something that gives you a boost. So, that, so you're giving yourself the, the pleasant emotion that you were hoping the food would give you. So that sounds like a very practical way and you can literally just do something about it right now. Just thinking something else yes. will fix the problem. Yes, absolutely. That is the power of our thoughts. Now I think another thing that I really want, want people to be aware of is our language profoundly affects our brain function and our subconscious decisions. So for instance, I think one of the first things we need to lose is the word lose. Let me ask you, Emma, when you hear the word loss, what's the immediate emotion that comes up for you? Don't worry about the context. Just when you hear the word lose or loss, do you feel excited and motivated or do you feel apprehensive and fearful? Definitely worried. It's not a positive thought. Definitely not. No. So in life, we resist losing anything. We certainly don't want to lose a loved one. We don't want to lose our job. We don't want to lose money. We don't even want to lose our keys. And even though consciously we think we want to lose weight, 
the word loss creates a subconscious resistance. Have you ever sort of really made the commitment, or is my, certainly my patients say yes, but a person can make this really strong commitment, they're really motivated, I will eat well, I will exercise every day, this time I'll do it. But somewhere along the line, you know, a few weeks down the track, you know, they, some crisis occurs in their life and they find themselves reverting back to their old behaviours and they are not able to sustain the new lifestyle. Why? Because subconsciously they're telling themselves they're losing something and, and what's our knee-jerk reaction to loss? Something that we lose, we want to get it back, we want to find it again. 95% of people who lose weight find it again. Yeah, that's so true. So as an industry of fitness professionals and health professionals, what is something we can do to change this? As you said, we need to lose these, not even, see, I'm already doing it. How do we change the wording and the phrases that we use to be more positive and stimulate the dopamine that you just mentioned? Instead of talking to clients about losing weight, talk to them about what they will gain because it isn't the shedding the body fat that's important to them. It's what they feel shedding body fat will give them more strength, vitality, self-confidence, energy. You know, what are the things that they are not currently doing in life that shedding that excess body fat will give them? So talk about, you know, how will your life improve and what will you gain? And focus, you know, get them to focus on all the positive things that getting fit is bringing into their life rather than focusing purely on numbers on a scale. Because the other point I want to make is losing weight is actually not a healthy goal. Because when people lose weight on diets, they tend to lose muscle and bone. Yeah, they'll lose fat as well, but they found the more calorie restricted the diet, the more likely you are to lose muscle mass. We know as health professionals, that is definitely not what we want people to do. Because you know, the more muscle mass, the higher your metabolic rate, the better your body handles all your food, you know, and, and, and the more insulin sensitive you are, the more muscle mass you have. So you don't want to lose muscle. So a far healthier goal is simply to recognize that really the only unhealthy fat is the, the visceral fat that infiltrates our abdominal organs and coats our abdominal organs. Subcutaneous fat, which is located under the skin, you know, the fat on, on your arms, on your hips, on your legs, that's actually not unhealthy. Now, people might not like the way it looks, but it's not unhealthy. So if their goal is health, it's a far healthier goal is to reduce their waist circumference than to focus on numbers on a scale because you can significantly reduce your waist circumference without actually dropping many kilos on the scale. And it, it's very discouraging for people if they're getting fitter, they're maintaining, you know, they're, they're, they're actually gaining muscle mass, but if their goal was losing weight, they'll feel like a failure. So I think that goal has to be out the window. We have to have a whole paradigm shift and start saying to people, no, losing weight is not a healthy goal. Shedding excess body fat is a completely different scenario and focusing on purely the abdominal fat. But even more importantly, it's gaining life, gaining energy, gaining vitality, gaining self-confidence. That is so amazing and you're so right. And so we can put this into place. What are the ways that we could quantify or measure these? Because we all know, as you said, they put themselves on the scale or they do the weight. But what are the ways they can do a daily strategic analysis of those positive thoughts that they can say, right, I'm achieving these positive thoughts today and then measure their outcome with their waist circumference? I ask my clients a lot of other lifestyle questions like, how well do you sleep? You know, are you sleeping well? How much energy do you feel you have throughout the day? What's your dress size? What dress size would you like to have? How do you feel when you look in the mirror? So 
so these are, and, and I definitely use a tape measure, but I wouldn't get people to measure their waist for at least no more than fortnightly. I just don't think it's necessary. I'd much prefer them to focus on, hey, I notice I'm sleeping better because when we exercise on a regular basis, we sleep better. I'm noticing that I'm not getting that slump in the afternoon. I'm focusing better at work. I just feel more confident. So right at the start, I get my clients to sort of fill out a brief questionnaire asking these sort of questions, how they feel about themselves, how they're sleeping, and even monitoring their self-talk. What are the sort of things you're saying to yourself these days? I really get them to keep it really note every time they do something positive throughout the day. I, give, I tell them, give yourself a clap, not a slap. Because most people are really quick to say, I was so slack, I didn't go to the gym today. I was really bad at lunch, I ate this junk that I didn't want to eat. But we're much slower at giving ourselves a pat on the back when we do do something right. So I, you know, when my clients come in and say, oh, look, I didn't do this and I didn't do this, I go, doesn't matter what you didn't do, what did you do? How much fruit and veg did you eat this week? Did you get some exercise? What did you do well this week? And get them to focus on, hey, I am increasing, you know, healthy behaviours. Focus on that. I also tell them health is not a distant destination. It's a daily choice. And you can start being healthy right here and now without any measurable parameters changing just by making those positive choices. So this has been so inspiring and I'm definitely going to change my thoughts and be more positive and definitely give myself those claps at the end of the day. And what are the final top tips going through all of that? What is one thing someone can do every day just to change that in the slightest way? I think nothing beats gratitude. And starting to keep a gratitude journal or starting every day thinking about the things that you're grateful for in your life. Because studies have actually found when people practice gratitude, they're actually kinder to themselves. They are more motivated to exercise. Um, if anyone wants to read more, Professor Robert Emmons, he did studies on patients who had neuromuscular disease. And when they started to keep a gratitude journal, they had less pain, they needed fewer painkillers, they were more motivated to exercise and they took better care of themselves just by practicing gratitude. And another wonderful study found that women who had poor self-image and, and just weren't looking after their bodies, if when they go to bed every night, they run through every part of their body and they thank their body for doing the best it can. You know, I thank my toes for carrying me around all day. I thank my stomach for digesting my food. I thank my eyes that I can see. I thank my ears that I can hear. Even if you've got an organ that's not working well, I thank my pancreas for working as well as it can under this current circumstances. I thank my, my tongue for being able to taste. If they do that little simple exercise and genuinely sort of run through their body, genuinely feel it over a couple of weeks when they're once again tested on their self-image, their self-image goes up and they spontaneously look after themselves better. Thank you so much for everything you said. I'm going to take this away and definitely change my point of view on all the things and tell others to do the same thing with a positive attitude to change both their inner, inner thoughts and outer surroundings. So thank you so much and we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. My pleasure. Thank you. For more articles, resources and inspiration to grow your fitness business, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au.